0: This week on Blue 58, a high-profile cornerback could be available for trade. Should the Packers do a deal? Then a franchise legend may be headed up the river. How does that change how we think about him, if at all? Plus, let's take a moment to remember some highlights from Super Bowls gone past. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58 the official podcast of the powersweep.com. I'm your host John Meerdick, very excited to be with you on this last episode of Blue 58 for the 2017 season. After this Sunday it's all over. The Super Bowl marks the end. We're on to 2018 officially. And uh, I think uh, we can all agree that we're ready to move on from the 2017 season officially and be on to something where there's a little bit more hope in the equation. So let's dive right in with uh, with some things that could give the Packers a little bit more hope. First and foremost, uh, the headline from thepowersweep.com that Denver Broncos cornerback Akib Talib may be available via trade. I don't want to recount the entire article here. In fact, I would like to expand on a couple things that maybe got left out of that article and. Uh, maybe we need to look, take a little bit closer look at, uh, the, the prevailing thing that people have brought up online in regards to this piece is that, uh, Tlaib is a bit of a troublemaker. Uh, I'm not sure troublemaker is the right descriptor there exactly, but, uh, he gets into trouble a lot. He doesn't really make trouble for other people so much as he consistently makes trouble, uh, for himself. Consider from this article Uh, back uh, about five years ago now when he was first traded to the New England Patriots. This is in the Boston Globe. Just a rundown of some of the issues he had during his five years or so in Tampa Bay or or in Tampa with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, Reading from the article, Tlaib fought twice with Tampa Bay teammates, admitting after the second altercation in May 2009 that he needed to better control his temper. Four months later, he assaulted a cab driver in St. Petersburg, Florida, then, resisted arrest on charges of simple battery. The arrest report said Talib struck the driver, blah, blah, blah. Uh, it may have been under the influence of alcohol. Uh, the NFL suspended him for a game. Then, during a game, an argument with a game official outside the Tampa Bay locker room in November 2010, Talib had to be restrained, uh, restrained. Then, came the charge of aggravated assault with a deadly weapon in March 2011. Most recently, Tlaib violated the NFL's policy on sub- performance-enhancing substances and received a four-game suspension in October. It goes on. The article goes on from there. He had a lot of issues while he was with Tampa, but those issues have not necessarily stopped, though they have slowed down a bit. Uh, last year, uh, well, I guess the year year prior to, to 2017, I guess we're in, in 2018 now. So uh, in 2016, uh, he was Uh, the subject of an ongoing police investigation, let's say that, uh, after an uh, incident involving a firearm in which he actually shot himself. Um, Just a bizarre, strange, ongoing situation for him there. He has some judgment issues, clearly. And uh, I think the thing that is worth considering about him is that, by and large, his, his issues seem to be mostly tied to hurting himself at this point less than hurting other people, though he does have a history of that. Let's be completely, completely fair. And if you're going to take a a flyer on somebody with a a checkered past, maybe you are willing to tolerate the knuckleheads who aren't hurting other people so much as hurting themselves. That is a consideration and uh, one that has really emerged more as uh, we've had some time to sit and think about this piece. Second thing is um, a trade may not be the wisest course of action to pursue with Tlaib because there's a pretty decent chance that the Broncos may just cut him outright. That's something that we didn't uh, explore in the piece either because it, it seemed really kind of beside the point. If he was available for trade and we're talking about the potential possibility of trading for him, well, you know, let's talk about the trade. Um that he might actually get cut is is really probably the most likely scenario because nobody wants to trade for a guy who's going to get cut anyway. But, you know, we, we do have to talk about the possibility of there being a trade. If he's ultimately cut, I'm interested to see what sort of contract he ends up getting. And I'm not sure it will be with the Packers or not, but it certainly has to be worth some consideration considering the success he's had on the field. Um, over the past two years. So interesting situation and surely not the last player who we will have to speculate a little bit about uh, this offseason. That's what this time of the year is for. Uh, moving right along to headline number two, um, let's talk for a second about Amon Green. Um, he is in a bit of hot water, uh, more than a little bit. Uh, let's read from PackersNews.com about this story um, of Green facing trial for Um, some child abuse-related charges. Uh, The quote from PackersNews.com. Green is accused of pushing his daughter and hitting her in the head on June 26, 2017, after she refused to wash the dishes. His daughter was 15 at the time. Green was arrested that night at his home in Ledgeview. Criminal complaint says the daughter told police she and Green had been fighting all day on the date of the alleged assault. The complaint says Green told authorities he may have thrown the girl to the ground, tearing her shirt, and that he slapped her head and may have hit her glasses, causing an injury to her eye. If convicted of both charges, Green faces more than six years in prison, end quote. So my question as I think about this is, Um, Given that this is not the only off-field incident for Green, uh, both during his playing career and after, should this change what we think about Green as a player? I don't have a hard and fast answer yes or no on that. I would say it doesn't have to, but don't feel bad if it does change your feelings about Amon Green. I think it's perfectly legitimate to say yeah, it doesn't seem like he's a real good person, but I'm only interest him, interested in him as a football player. And what he does off the field really doesn't matter to me. I think that's a legitimate position to hold. We, we watch these games for entertainment. And for, for most of us, and for pretty much all of us, really, our relationship with these players begins and ends, um, or begins with kickoff and ends when the final whistle goes off. And I, I think that's okay. We're watching this for entertainment, not to make friends. Um, I think that holds true for a lot of art or performances, uh, movies or um, TV shows or uh, music or anything like that. I I think it's okay to separate the art from the artist. Um, But I think it's also legit to say that you know what a guy or, you know, if it's outside of football, a woman does off the field and you don't want any part of supporting that. I think that's perfectly legitimate as well. I think the real important thing is to sit down and think about it and say, "What really matters to me? Do I do I? Does it matter to me what a person's like off the field in their private life? Uh, does it matter to me um, that that they do things that are potentially against the law? And if so, what things matter to me? Uh, do drug arrests for things that are not criminal offenses in in all the states in the in the United States bother me? Um, if so, why? If not, why not? Um, If it's just criminal things like child abuse or whatever, where do I draw the line? Well, if somebody got in trouble for yelling at their kid in a public place or something like that, I don't know. Could have picked a better example for that. Uh, Is is that going to be enough for me to withdraw my support or not? I don't know. and I don't know if you have to think of all these things in advance, but I do think it is important to think about them and be prepared to evaluate even your most favorite players and change your opinions of them over time. What I don't think is as legit is to sit here and just say, I'm going to support this guy because they play for the Packers no matter what. Uh, I'll direct your attention to something I wrote last year after the Packers signed Ahmad Brooks, a guy with a long list of off the field issues. Um, And in a piece titled, you don't have to support Ahmad Brooks. Here's, Here's the quote. Uh, from the very end of that piece quote we can and we should be clear-headed in support of the Packers we can want what's best for the team and still recognize that the players who provide what's best for the team have a checkered past even though Brooks has faced very little in the way of formal charges the fact that he ends or keeps ending up in situations involving alleged violence is at the very least cause for the concern don't feel obligated to root for him end quote I think that last line says it just perfectly don't feel obligated to root for these guys just because they're involved with the Packers. Uh, in the grand scheme of things, football is extremely unimportant. I mean, I spend more time than is possibly healthy, probably healthy, uh, thinking and talking about and writing about football. But in the end, it's just a game. It's a it's a sport, and uh, there, there's more going on here. So just be, be clear-headed, be clear-minded in what you're doing and, and thinking about these players, and don't be afraid to reevaluate evaluate your position on these guys. Moving right along to some more just football-related evaluations. I want to keep in your mind our player evaluation series uh, that is ongoing at thepowersweep.com. Uh, we're about halfway through writing all of these now. Uh, obviously, not half have been released yet, but uh, they keep trickling out a couple a day. Uh, three that I'd like to call to mind for you right now. First and foremost, Demarius Randall. This one's very interesting because of a, a feature that we have talked about several times on Blue Fifty Eight. Uh, the the ability for you to give your thoughts uh, on on our our ratings of these guys. Uh, the, the three ratings that we have exceeded expectations, met expectations, or did not meet expectations. We offer that up as a Twitter poll for uh, every one of these pieces that we write. I was very surprised to learn that 90% of respondents in our poll said Demarius Randall either met or exceeded their expectations. Uh, in 2017. There was a exact 50-50 split between met or exceeded expectations in, in terms of people who picked one of those two options. Only 10% of, of all the total respondents said he didn't meet their expectations. Very, very interesting. And I think it speaks to the the kind of season that Randall had in 2017. Got off to a rough start. No question about that. But after he was uh, yanked in the, in the Bears game, things really improved for him. And, and down the stretch, he was one of the Packers' Better defender, certainly their best cornerback. That's in large part because there weren't a lot of them standing at the season, but at the end of the season. But he had a pretty good year. Uh, another one worth t- talking about is Jamal Williams. This one's interesting to me because of some of these really small but really interesting things that come up as you go back and take another look at these guys. Uh, from that piece, um, we found this stat: uh, Williams, over the course of his 153 total carries on the season, was stopped for a loss. Just six times. That's 3.9% of his carries in 2017 that ended behind the line of scrimmage. By way of comparison, Kareem Hunt of the Kansas City Chiefs, who led the league in rushing, was stopped for a loss on 24 of his 272 carries. 8.8% rate there for Kareem Hunt. Now, I'm not saying that Williams is better than Hunt or even in the same class as Hunt, but I think it is interesting how effective he was, especially facing uh, defenses that knew the Packers really couldn't get deep a lot. Finally, I wanted to call your attention to a piece written by Gary about David Bakhtiari. Uh, An interesting nugget from that piece Pro Football Focus named Bakhtiari the top left tackle in the NFL in 2017. Uh, They credited him for just 12 pressures allowed. That's one sack, two hits, and nine hurries across 455 pass-blocking snaps. Pretty decent season for David Bakhtiari, and he continues to be an incredible bargain for the Packers. Just watch the tackle market rise around him over the next couple seasons. That contract is just going to keep looking better and better and better. Great move by Ted Thompson and Russ Ball to get that deal done when they did. Before we dive into a little bit of Super Bowl talk, Let's talk Patreon. After I mentioned this last week, uh, we did get a couple more people who jumped on board with our our Patreon account, and I wanted to take a a little bit of time to just say thank you again for that. Patreon is is a great resource for us, and it really helps us take care of some of our our expenses year in or month in and month out. And just one person supporting us, um, choosing to support us on Patreon for one dollar a month, will take care of our podcast hosting for an entire month and. It's just little things like that that, that make things easier for us uh, to do this entire uh, effort, this podcast, the blog, everything that goes into this. And it's really rewarding to see people choosing to support us. This is not money that's gonna that's going to make me or Gary rich, and that's not why we're doing this. But like I said last week, you choosing to support us on Patreon... Uh, or any of the other ways that we have uh, that you can support us financially is really just an affirmation as much as anything that people are out there finding value in what we do and they want us to keep doing more of it. So if you have, you know, any inclination to give it all, Patreon is a great place to do it. It's easily the cheapest way that you can support us financially and uh, it really does mean a lot to both me and Gary as we go through this process. Let's talk Super Bowl for a second. Super Bowl Memories, And when I think of Super Bowl memories, they all kind of come to me in, in this sort of form. The soundtrack, the voiceover of the Packers' 1996 playoff regular season Super Bowl highlight tape. Yeah, that's what they sound like. That was the soundtrack of my, my childhood. And man, whenever I think of great moments from Packers Super Bowl history, they sound a little bit like this. Change of pace. Brett has had a receiver open twice on changes of plays. This time he's going to go long upfield. Wide open, for Freeman. A long pass play. No Brett again checking out at the line of scrimmage. Brett doing a fine job of reading the coverage. He realized that Antonio was man-to-man against the safety. Malloy, the safety could not run with him. We'll talk a little bit more about Super Bowl 31 in a little bit, but, man, if that just, just doesn't make you feel all warm inside, I don't know what does. We're going to take a little bit to look at four Super Bowls the Packers have played in uh, over the course of their history. Uh, Let's start all the way back with the one that started it all in 1967. Um, Needless to say, not a big deal for the Packers to win the Super Bowl back then. It wasn't technically even called the Super Bowl back then. It was the NFL versus AFL. Championship game or something like that exactly I forget the exact wording of it, but it was not called the Super Bowl until a couple of years later and most people in Wisconsin really didn't seem to take much notice of it uh The Milwaukee Journal didn't really even mention the game uh according to our research um, it got a front page mention uh but it gave little more than the score and where to find more information about the game, because there were some other news stories the Journal was talking about that day. Uh, the big stories were a U.S. bombing in Hanoi and the burning of McCormick Place Exhibition Hall in Chicago. Uh, Super Bowl loses out to both of those. Hard to imagine uh, today. Uh, now they, they would print an entirely new newspaper for the Packers if they, uh, they won another Super Bowl. Milwaukee Sentinel didn't do a whole lot more. Had a big uh, banner up top that declared the Packers super champs. And a uh, bit of a story about Packers fans out in LA where there were about 2,000 Green Bay fans on hit for the big game. Um, also, according to our research, and when I say our, I really should give Gary a lot of credit for this. He did a lot of behind-the-scenes lifting, uh, rounding up some great behind-the-scenes nuggets on this, uh, on the Packers Super Bowls uh, in the past. And um, It was reported that Green Bay had been relatively quiet after the game, and a rally to welcome the Packers back to Green Bay was canceled because the team got Fogged in. Fog made it impossible for them to arrive on time, so everybody was just like, "Ah, eh, we'll cancel the rally anyway." So far, cry from what we would see today if the Packers won. Let's dive right back into Super Bowl Thirty-One, though. Uh, we've got a couple more highlights to share with you. Uh, interesting uh, to note exactly how dominant the Packers were heading into that game. Really, throughout this season, the Packers uh, had the the big double that season, leading the league both in scoring, uh, scoring on offense, and scoring. Defense, as in points allowed on defense, um, the Packers only allowed 20 or more points in, in like a handful of games, maybe even, uh, maybe not even five full games. And for a, a vast majority of the season, they kept opposing teams under 10 points, not even allowing them into double digits. It was absolutely insane how good this team was, uh, especially when it came to just preventing opposing. Teams from from scoring at all. It, it was incredible, and it'd be amazing to see a similar sort of thing for the Packers today. Yes, looking it up real quick. Um, counting playoffs, the Packers allowed more than twenty points just four times in their entire season. Just mind-boggling to think of, uh, and something that I would love to see. You know, the Packers do again, uh, maybe this year because that seems like an almost guaranteed trip to the Super Bowl. Uh, a f- big sort of perspective shift for how the Packers and really the entire league were uh, operating a generation ago. That season, Brett Favre threw 39 touchdown passes. That was at the time the third highest total in league history. That same year, Desmond Howard set a league record for most punt return yardage in a season. Most interesting storyline to me of the entire 1996 season, though, Brett Favre checking into rehab for six weeks. Uh, prior to the start of the season. Can you imagine the 24-hour start-to-finish coverage if the reigning league MVP had checked himself into rehab prior to a season in which his team had to be one of the favorites for the Super Bowl? Just unimaginable. And uh, we'll talk about some of the, the differences between then and now when we get to Super Bowl 32 here in a second. But just It's hard to say anything other than unbelievable. How huge of a story would that be if the if the Packers' starting quarterback, the starting quarterback for any team, found himself in rehab for for any reason? Just mind boggling, and it shows how different the media landscape was uh, back then. Uh, Let's talk highlights. We we I'm a little bit nervous to talk about Super Bowl 32. We'll get there in a second. Talk highlights here for a second. When you think of Super Bowl 31, you you think about Favre running off the field with his helmet, big awesome play. But for me, when I was pretending as a kid to be a pro football player, the the player I wanted to be after the Super Bowl was Desmond Howard, and that was because of this play. Here is a high float. for this is a nice kickoff. Desmond Howard has to back up, can't get the run from the goal line to the five, with ten to the fifteen through a hole to the twenty. man, that was a great time to be a kid. Uh, in the 1996 season, I would have been in second grade, dating myself a little bit, um, and every morning on the bus on the way to school, my friend and I would recite the entire roster of the Packers in numerical order um, from Brett Favre all the way up into the upper 90s. I can't remember all of them, but I, I can do pretty well. Uh, They're Sean Jones, 19, um, number 96, way up there at the top. I, there probably was a couple players higher than that as well. Um, but, man, good times. Great time to be a kid in Wisconsin. And, of course, uh, the call that always lingers in my mind, the ending after the Packers' final breakdown in the locker room of that uh, legendary highlight tape, just still can hear it ringing in my head right before I would have to hit stop and rewind the the VHS tape. Hey. world champions indeed let's breeze by super bowl 32 and and just get to the fun part where we can complain a little bit about uh about how that game played out heading in uh i hesitate to remind you but the packers are big favorites going into super bowl 32 12 and a half point favorites in fact over under for that game 49 and a half points uh they did cover uh i guess both teams did cover the over um so uh yay I guess uh, hard to be anything but a little bit downcast after this, and uh, I think Ron Wolf said it pretty well that the the loss in Super Bowl thirty two rendered the Packers as a little more than uh, than a fart in the wind. You could see some things starting to come for the Packers that might might have uh, mm, foreshadowed some things changing a little bit. Uh, People asking Mike Lomgren what he thought about the Packers potentially being a dynasty before they had even won their second game. Uh, Some people sniffing around the Packers, uh, potentially looking to to snipe some some of their front office or coaching staff. In fact, uh, the San Diego Chargers apparently were considering just backing up the truck for Mike Holmgren. Uh, One rumor we found around that time, uh, Alex Spanos, the owner of the San Diego Chargers, could be ready to dump their general manager and uh, their head coach and offer both jobs to Mike Holmgren. And of course, you'll remember that is uh, exactly the situation that ended ended Holmgren's tenure in Green Bay. He got to be the, the head coach and general manager for the Seattle Seahawks. But the thing that came up uh, that that Gary said his jaw dropped when he he read was uh, Terrell Davis's account of uh, his his injury, air quotes, during the game, and um, then returning to the game. uh, He spent a lot of the first half not in the game because, in his words, he got dinged a little bit. Now see if uh, you can recognize some of his symptoms here. He got hit pretty hard and said, describing the injury, I blinked out for a play and came to the sideline. My vision was blurred for a minute or so. I thought it was the onset of a migraine. Uh, he, went, he came back for the second half and, of course, went ballistic, ended up rushing for 157 yards and three touchdowns, including the game winner uh, running right up the middle past Gilbert Brown into the end zone. Uh, do you believe for a second that uh, Terrell Davis was having the onset of a migraine there? No, of course not. He had a concussion. He absolutely had a concussion. And in 2018, he probably would be a lot back in the game, but people would be a lot more upset about it. Uh, they would pretend to evaluate him for a concussion for a little bit. And then when they decided they needed him to win the game, uh, he would have been right back out there um, after, quote-unquote, taking some medication. That's exactly what happened. Uh, he comes back out there and helps the Packers or helps the Broncos get back to another well, well, not get back to another Super Bowl. Get John Elway his first Super Bowl win. So, be bitter about it. Yeah, I mean, he shouldn't have been in the game. And Jerry Rice fumbled the next year. So, that's that's what we got there for Super Bowl thirty-two. Happier memories though. Super Bowl forty-five. Ah, yes, not long ago. I have vivid, vivid memories of this game because uh, I was extremely stressed out all day during the game. Uh, I was the general manager of my college radio station at Northwestern College in St. Paul, Minnesota. Um, And for some reason, it fell to us to host a campus Super Bowl viewing party. I don't know exactly why we ended up hosting this or being in charge of organizing it, but we had to organize food. We had to organize a a place where people could watch this. We had to organize even getting an antenna set up so that we could get the, the game beamed into Uh, the place where we were watching because uh, cable was not an option. Stressful, stressful, stressful time. And then I had to deal with, you know, being a fan of one of the teams that was involved in the game, being in the middle of Minnesota Vikings territory. Uh, So you put yourself out there and if the Packers end up losing, uh, it's not going to go super well for you. So it it was very, very stressful uh, to (laughs) to be organizing that. And that's mostly what I remember about this game. Some other things worth remembering about this game. Um... Apparently, about uh, 2,500 people uh, who live in Texas are, in fact, owners of the Green Bay Packers, shareholders of the Green Bay Packers. So that's worth mentioning there. Not exactly a home field advantage for the green and gold, but worth noting, uh, about 25 shares held by people who live in Texas. A whole bunch of people picked against the Packers to win this game uh, from ESPN, including Chris Carter, Mike Greenberg, Merrill Hodge, Tom Jackson, Ron Jaworski, Keyshawn Johnson, Hannah Storm, Scott Van Pelt, I'm sorry to say, Michael Wilbon, Marcellus Wiley, and Trey Wingo, all of them, picking against the Packers. Heading into the game, the Packers had spent an average of 35 minutes and 12 seconds in the lead, uh, an average of just nine minutes and 44 uh, minutes per game, or nine minutes and 44 seconds per game. Trailing, the Packers were in 2010 the first team since the AFL mer- NFL merger in 1970 to never trail by more than seven points in any game, in any point in a season. The Vikings were the previous team to do it uh, in 1969. Packers also the first six-loss team in NFL history to lose all six games by four points or fewer. I don't know what your most notable memory is of that game itself. For me, I think it has to be Nick Collins returning that interception for a touchdown just because it was pretty much everything about who Nick Collins was as a player. Uh, just the great speed in center field and the back end of a defense making them pay for any ball that was just a little bit overthrown. And boy, did he make the Steelers pay. As soon as you saw that ball flutter up into the air a little bit, you kind of just knew that Nick Collins was going to come down with it. And boy, did he. Uh, thanks uh, in in large part to, uh, to Howard Green, the big defensive tackle the Packers had signed uh, during the course of the season. He hit Ben Roethlisberger's shoulder as he threw the ball and let Collins sort of settle under it, and then he did the rest, sprinting his way into the super or into the end zone, uh, drawing a flag for his celebration as well. I think that was well worth it. Great memories, and I hope we we get to ex- experience some more memories like this in our lifetimes. Uh, what, what I do have to point out, while I've got you here, is we need to talk about luck—not Andrew Luck, uh, luck uh, in in the sense the of things breaking your way during a football game, especially key football games like those that happen in the playoffs and in the Super Bowl. It takes a little bit of luck to win a Super Bowl. It might take a lot of luck, in fact. That's not to say that you don't have to be a very good football team to win a Super Bowl or that being a very good football team doesn't help things break your way. But I think it is okay to admit that breaks have to go your way to win a Super Bowl. And there's no shame in admitting that. Um, I think if there's anything that I've learned uh, playing football, coaching football, watching football, just being involved in, in football at all, is is how much of the game is out of your control. Preparation can do a lot to bring those things back into your control, but, but a, a good percentage of the game is going to be things that you can't control at all. How the ball bounces if it ends up on the ground, uh, a tipped ball going six inches Higher than a receiver's hand and ending up in the hands of a defensive back. Uh, you know, getting the kickoff, uh, receiving at a particular time, where the wind is blowing. All of these things can affect your odds at winning a football game. And acknowledging that you won because some things that were out of your control went your way should not be seen as. You know, denigrating your own performance. I think the Patriots uh, of all teams should be the most familiar with that. I mean, they are so close—just a couple plays, breaking slightly differently uh, from being only like two-time Super Bowl winners. One of the great laughing stocks of the NFL because they've only been able to win two of whatever it is—the eight Super Bowls that they've been to, or however many it is at this point. Conversely, you you shouldn't be so hounded as a, as a sore loser or whatever, if you point out that some things really didn't break your way and it cost you big time. Uh, one of the big things that came out of the AFC championship game was the amount of penalties that seemed to go the Patriots way. And of course, there are some things that you can do to limit penalties. But the idea that a team should play so well that the refs cannot possibly affect the outcome of a game is ludicrous because they're going to affect the game because they're humans. They're, they're going to make bad calls and they're going to make calls that have a disproportionate impact on the outcome of a game. Just look at that pass interference penalty that set the the Patriots up for a touchdown uh, just before halftime. Uh, that, what what can you do uh, on a judgment call like that other than play absolutely 100% immaculate coverage all of the time? Come on. Human beings just can't do that. And sometimes you're going to get a bad break uh, like teams do. The Packers have been, I think, disproportionately on the receiving end of things not going quite their way. You know, uh, fumbles bouncing uh, into their opponent's hands. Um Brandon Bostic letting a ball bounce off of his head. I mean, the the Bostick play is a, is really a perfect example. For one thing, he didn't do what he was supposed to, but h- how often over the course of 100 onside kicks where Brandon Bostic decides, I'm going to go for this ball anyway, even though I'm not supposed to, how many times does the ball end up bouncing right between his eyes and, and into the hands of a, a Seattle Seahawks player? How often does he catch that? I would say more often than not, Brandon Bostic is going to catch that ball even if he's not supposed to be attempting it. The point of all this is, is, is okay to say that, you know, luck is on your side sometimes. It's not the only thing that gets you a Super Bowl win, but let's not pretend like it doesn't play some sort of factor in who wins a Super Bowl and who doesn't. That's all I've got for you this week. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Blue 58. You can find us, as always, at thepowersweep.com or by searching The Power Sweep. On Facebook and Twitter. If you'd like to reach us via email, you may do so at thepowersweep1959 at gmail.com. If you'd like to support us financially, you may do so via patreon.com. Patreon.com slash thepowersweep that is the best way to reach us on that website. We do appreciate each and every one of your contributions. If you'd like to buy a t-shirt and look good while you support the Power Sweep. do so via Teespring. You can find a link to our Teespring store at thepowersweep.com near the top of the page. And the cheapest and freest and easiest way to support us is Uh, is by giving a review on iTunes if you would like. That is still the best place for people to find the show. Although we are expanding out uh, this week, we just became available on Stitcher for the very first time. So if you listen to us via that medium or have started to, welcome. Thanks for listening. We do love to hear from you. Any feedback you give us helps us make this entire operation better and helps us all become Smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, Smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I am John Meerdink. We will see you next week on Blue 58.